Hi, everyone. Welcome to Waste 360's Nothing Wasted podcast. On every episode, we invite the most interesting people in waste, recycling, and organics to sit down with us and chat candidly about their thoughts, their work, this unique industry, and so much more. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Hi there. I hope you're enjoying this series of sessions that we're sharing from Waste Expo. In this episode, you'll hear from four of our impressive Waste 360 40 Under 40 winners in a lively discussion called A Fresh Take, How Rising Leaders See the Waste Industry's Future. I hope you learned something new from their unique perspectives. I know I certainly did. So enjoy the episode and listen in as the speakers introduce themselves. I'm Kristen Kinder. Um, I actually... I'm going to go back kind of far, but I promise I won't take too long. Um, I thought I was going to go into the health field and instead move to Germany to play soccer. And while I was over there, I was so touched by their culture around consumption and how little they consume that when I moved home, I wanted to, you know, contribute to being part of the solution here in the United States. Um, and this, this is going to sound very dramatic, but I, I felt like if we don't have um, a stable environment, our healthcare system doesn't matter. So I wanted to be, again, part of the solution. I uh, found myself by chance at waste management, which was an incredible opportunity for me. Um, I started there in our operations, worked through... Um, uh, recycling education, um, even worked on their national recycling campaign. Um, following that, I worked for another a waste consultant for Fortune 500 companies in Seattle. Um, I got to see the waste of any kind of business, you name it. Um, I did our waste audits, so traveled all over the country uh, looking at their garbage and studying it. Uh, I was spending some time in product management there and learning more about the business aspect of things uh, when I got that magic call from Marty Bryan at Wastequip uh, asking me what my dream job was. Uh, we were able to create that together, and I'm now the director of research and waste stream sustainability. Hi, everybody. I'm Andy Rumpke. I've been in the waste industry since 1979, believe it or not, when I was born. So, I, I, I'm part of a third. I'm part of a third generation of the family that owns and operates uh, Rumpke, which is a Midwestern waste and recycling company. Started working, actually started working working in the industry when I was in eighth grade in 1994, and held a lot of different jobs in the waste industry. I was a general laborer, a driver, an operator, a division manager on the hauling side. I was a region vice president. Now my title is area president. Good morning, everybody. I'm Tanya Raglan with Republic Services. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, currently, I serve as, I, as our um, recycling representative, specifically dealing with sustainability programs. Um, to organics and food recovery. Since launching our food recovery program a little over a year ago, um, I've helped develop relationships that have resulted in over one million pounds of food being intercepted from the landfill and instead 
redistributed to local families and people in need. So it's a really exciting time in Southern California. Uh, a little bit of background about myself. Fell in love with recycling at a young age. Started a little campaign in my neighborhood and picked up litter across the street because there was a lot of construction. And uh, fell in love with the opportunity to turn uh, waste into profit. So, hi everybody. Good morning. My name is Michelle Salas. Uh, I founded Lady Green Miami Recycling in 2010. Um, it was back in 2008 when I was working in commercial real estate that I noticed a lot of businesses weren't recycling. And when I did see the recycling bins, most of the time it was, it was contaminated. Um, you know, I grew up very passionate about the environment. Um, so it took me two years when I was in grad school. I was studying environmental studies, and I took this one class that focused on um, the natural process of recycling. And um, I learned how essential it is in, in, in order to sustain life on Earth. We need, you know... Uh, nothing gets wasted. So I saw a connection there. And it was until 2012 that I was able to quit my full-time job. And uh, we've been operating since. Uh, we service over a thousand locations in Miami. And we offer multiple stream recycling. We really focus on education. And um, we use a pay-as-you-throw uh, pay model. I want to hear about, you know, your mentors that have helped you, you know, either personally or throughout your career to help you guys get where you are today. Well, as I mentioned, I don't, I didn't really come from the, I didn't come from the waste industry. Um, I had a couple, two important mentors uh, throughout my career. One was when I was in commercial real estate, uh, my boss was the president of the, uh, the company and I just learned, you know, from him how to be a, a good boss, how to really care about your employees, how to nurture relationships, um, and that was really important to me. I saw how he treated well, you know, all his employees and how effective it was. So that really helped me. Um, after that, I worked for Climco, which is a company that um, they uh, deploy renewable energy projects and greenhouse gas reduction projects. So they were a startup at the time. Now they're one of the leading uh, companies right now um, in the carbon market. And so I was there, you know, since the startup. Uh, I saw what it took to start a business from scratch, from the legal process, the financial process. I studied business administration for my bachelor's, and that that helped. But it really helped, um, you know, learning from these C-level executives that they started their own business during the recession. Um, and I also learned you know, that networking was huge. Um, they did a lot of networking. If it wasn't for networking, I probably wouldn't be here. Um, so, you know, those were two of my important mentors. Great, I'll start. Um, I think, you know, for me, I'm very fortunate that I get to see my mentors in action every day. So to be quite frank with you, my direct bosses are wonderful mentors, Suzanne Passantino and Dave Hauser. And what they do is they provide me with autonomy and guidance. And I think the most important thing that I've learned um, from them is that no matter what challenges you have, there's always going to be fires. There's always going to be challenges, right? But to always remain even keeled and level-headed and to never let anything get the best of you. Um, it's just wonderful to see folks that are so professional in action and always the most professional people in the room because there's going to be times where you go into a room and it could really test you. You know, it could get very, very heated and the challenges could get very real. But to always remain calm, cool, and collected, I think that's the most important thing for someone like myself as well that wants to go on and move and, um, you know, move up our corporate ladder where, you know, things can get very challenging as well. Um, so for me, mentorship, I'm very fortunate that I get to see it and learn from it in action every day. Um, and so I would say for other, you know, mentors out there really leading by example, that's the most important way to, you know, communicate with the people that look up to you.
Um, yeah, my mentor is my, my dad. Um, and my dad is, uh, was a garbage man. Uh, he drove a garbage truck. He operated equipment on the landfill. And he was, a, uh, he was a tough guy, but he was a guy that knew how to motivate people. He was a guy that a lot of people respected. And he um, knew how to make a, a group of people feel good about working for him and, and feel good about doing the right thing and having um, integrity, personal accountability, that we were going to come in every day and, and do the things that we said we we're going to do. Uh, he was uh, a, he was a great communicator. He is a great communicator. He's 79 years old. Um, not uh, didn't necessarily learn formal communication, but knew how to speak to the people that work for him in a way um, that that got their attention and made and made them uh, feel good about working for Rumpke. He's a great listener. Um, always had dignity and held respect for for everybody, uh, employees. Uh, customers, business partners, and he displayed a tremendous amount of perseverance and tenacity and simply hard work um, from from the time that he was very young and worked in our industry to to today. And you know, he still comes into the office every day today. Um, and he led by example, and, and he didn't talk a lot about uh, the way to to lead. Uh, he he led by example, and um, just watching him work um, taught me taught me a lot and helped me in my decision-making processes um, for every decision that I, that I make at Rumpke today. In addition to that, uh, both of my brothers, you know, my, my brothers are, are, have both at some point been, been my, my boss um, and, and they are extremely hardworking, dedicated um, people. Um, and they gave me a lot. Um, they, they gave me a, enough leeway to um, be on my own and learn my own mistakes and fail and fail from those things and then and then learn and get better. Um, so you know my my best mentors are are my direct family. Uh, so I've had a few uh, Susan Robinson from Waste Management, uh, Charlie Scott from Cascadia Consulting, um, a few other local leaders in the Northwest. Uh, but I learned pretty early on that if we had a common interest, that it would be much easier to get time with these people. Uh, thankfully, I never had to take up golf. Um, but I I got to get you know Susan loves hiking, and so we go on hikes all the time, and it's uninterrupted time with her, where I get to ask her all about the industry and work-life balance and if there is such a thing and um, her professional experiences. Um, I also have to mention my current manager, Marty Bryant, who I'm going to embarrass him for a minute, but is in this room. <laughs> um, he's shown such integrity uh, since I, you know, since before I started with the company, um, he makes time for me. Uh, he's the CEO, so as important as sustainability is, I imagine he has other things on his plate as well. Um, but he just has this abundance of time for everyone who needs it from him. And then I had a lot of thoughtful time when I started this new role to really think about who I want to be, um, what interests me, what do I want to be known for. Um, and in that time, I started reading biographies and listening to videos, um, or watching videos, I guess, listening to podcasts. Um, and I, I just want to point out that, you know, sometimes a mentor doesn't have to be somebody that you know personally. It could be a public figure. Uh, so some of those that um, have resonated with me are Oprah and Steve Martin.
Thank you guys. And since you've been in the industry, how have you seen the industry change and how do you think it's going to change in the future? change of the pattern here. Um, I think we've seen our industry significantly be elevated. I think there's a new consciousness that's awaking with resource management. More people than ever are interested in recycling, sustainability, environmental stewardship, and it's such an exciting time. So professionally, you know, our industry is completely being elevated. People are not thinking about the industry just in managing trash anymore. It's super dynamic. Thinking about from a policy perspective, too, a lot of states are looking at policies that may be before they never would have considered. So it's such an exciting time for our industry. And, and like I said, just the consciousness as a whole is it's growing even to the consumer as well. They really want to get involved now more than they ever have been. Yeah. I, I've been in the industry for a while. You, you know, I, I've been around it since, you know, my, my entire life. And the, one of the key things that, that I've seen over that entire span is the, the, the jobs have gotten better. Um, the technology has gotten better. How we engage our people to actually perform that work is, is, has gotten a lot better. And um, in, in that goes um, to a number of things. One, we're using more and more automated equipment. We made a commitment that we want to get our guys off the streets. There's a lot of distracted drivers out there. There's a lot of distracted people out there. And so safety is a huge priority for our company. So we've moved to largely a model where um, we're trying to automate more and more in everything that we do, whether it's driving or automating more and more of our uh, recycling systems. We have two large recycling systems in Ohio that process over 25,000 tons per month. Um, and we process a whole lot of material. Lowers the cost per ton of recycling, which helps us one, um, in that we can push that onto our consumers and uh, have recycling programs that exist for a longer amount of time. Two, uh, most of the jobs at those material recovery facilities have now moved from hand sorting, which we did you know, 15 and 20 years ago. And people got hurt, you can get hurt doing those things. There's a lot of uh, occupational injury risk to more occupational uh, or to more uh, quality control jobs, things like that. And then um, in terms of other changes, uh, we've moved on the truck side to mostly CNG equipment. So every truck that we've bought probably for the past five years has been a compressed natural gas vehicle. So we've moved to a lot of really hard you know, work where our hands and our feet and our bodies were being put at risk all the time to more of a position of more equipment investment. That hasn't necessarily meant that we have fewer people working for us, but those jobs have those jobs have gotten easier and those jobs have gotten better, and it helps control costs and quality to a large degree. So, as an overall trend, I would say uh, when I was in college, which was actually a little more than ten years ago, but uh, the, there was this whole idea that the economy was over here and the environment was over here, and you cannot benefit both. Um, and I, I'm so heartened to see that over the last. 10, 15 years, we've really been proving out that the economy and the environment can coexist. Um, one of my favorite examples of this is a company called Rent the Runway. Um, some of you may be familiar with them. They rent clothes to women for one-time events or, you know, on a monthly subscription basis, but they have the whole circular model um, that reduces textile waste. Um, and this company is, was just valued at over a billion dollars. Uh, so every day I'm seeing more examples of that. Um, 
And even, you know, pressure from investors, um, more companies are reporting on, on their own sustainability and managing their own metrics for that. Um, I would also say much to, like Tanya said, um, there's a lot more conversations where designers, you know, product manufacturers, uh, retailers, and now recyclers and the waste industry are at least sitting at the same table. So, you know, the Sustainable Packaging Coalition, uh, the Alliance to End Plastic Waste, uh, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, I mean, there's a number, there's a long, long list where recyclers um, and kind of the, I'll say, end of life are brought into the conversation. Um, and I hope to see that get stronger. So I think they really did a good job at explaining, um, you know, where we're heading, um, Andy specifically too. Um, but I would say, I got to say I'm from Florida. So when it comes to single stream uh, uh, system, you know, I wish I would have, I'd like to see um, more progress in that, you know, considering that we've been doing the system for over 30 years. Um, so... I, obviously, technology has really improved in the for safety and operations, um, but there is a momentum going. Um, there's more, you know, policies. There's states and municipalities are interested in really making a difference and recycling. Um, so that's actually a very good thing, I think. And I know you guys kind of all talked about technology a little bit. Um, you know, your dream list, if there was a technology in the future that you would like to see utilized that's either, you know, not really gaining traction right now, just starting to get off the ground, or doesn't exist at all. You know, what are, what are your thoughts on technology of the future? So I have no doubt that um, in regards to operations and safety, there's always going to be, you know, amazing technology that's going to make uh, operations more efficiently and, and more safe. What I would like to see would be more um, technology for education uh, to interact with the consumers and because obviously, you know, education is, is, is lacking and I think um, it's extremely essential uh, if we want to start recycling, right? So, you know, um, really engaging uh, through technology, um, like for example, we're, we're working on an app right now. Uh, for our clients, but also for, for everybody to um, engage in learning how to recycle properly through a game, which is really a training program to get people to learn how to process, I mean, to recycle uh, properly. And so I really want to see, you know, more efforts in the education. Um, I think technology is completely fascinating and wonderful, specifically for our drivers. It's dramatically enhancing the driver experience. Um, it's helping them be more vigilant, safe. And so if there's anything, I think what's really exciting about technology is just making the actual job safer for, for our employees and for um, the folks that we're servicing out there. Um, we have two new state-of-the-art recycling facilities, one in Texas and one in Las Vegas, where it has, you know, outstanding technology and sorting capabilities. Um, and I do want to be clear, too, you know, technology, we have a goal. We will never have technology replace employees. So that's not the goal of technology. The goal is to enhance the job and to make it safer. A couple of things um, that, that we've seen in terms of trends, and these aren't necessarily all, all brand new things. But um, data capture and use is becoming more and more critical. Um, data is valuable. And we are now capturing and putting to use more data than we ever have. We have so much data right now that it's crucial that the leaders in the industry and the leaders at our company focus in the people that work for us to uh, think about what data is important and what is not because it's easy to get lost in it. Uh, we have telematics systems that in our entire fleet, and we have about 2,000 garbage trucks, and we have telematics uh, 
telematic systems in our entire fleet that are all common. And those things help uh, with predictive trends. And those things help show us the operating habits of our employees. And those things help us to look at the behavior of the people that work for us and then make a decision before we have a problem on how we're going to adjust that behavior in a positive way. Um, so those things are important. The other, the other thing is our technology department at one time was behind a closed door and un under the accounting department. And those things have all changed and those things have changed pretty, pretty rapidly. Our technology people are in the field. They are helping with safety. They're helping with operations. They make applications and they do it really quickly and effectively. Um, our customers, our customers are demanding real time information and we have to give it to them or some, somebody else will. And we, have, we are investing massively um, to make that happen. So everything we do right now, all the data that we're capturing, it has to be real time. It has to be real time for our internal people in our internal reporting and it has to be real time for our customers. Uh, we have to show them what services are available and we have to be able to get them information and, and reporting on performance accurately and quickly. Um, in terms of the future and and what you know what things we haven't quite gotten to yet that I that we're looking at and, and would like to get to um, on our MRF side um, quality control with robotics we're not there yet we're exploring that we aren't completely sold on it yet but we're uh, working toward working towards whether or not that's going to make sense for us in our material recovery facilities and then um, heard a lot about the autonomous equipment on the landfills heavy equipment that's something that we're in the early stages of exploring and. Um, I'll, I'll echo an, an earlier comment a little bit. I, I believe at, at Rumpke, and I believe in our industry, we are customer and human driven. We are not a technology company, nor do we want to be a technology company. We used technology to make our customer experience better. We used technology to make our employee experience better. Uh, so to add a couple things that haven't been said, I'm really curious about chemical recycling. Um, so this idea, especially for plastics, that we can break uh, plastics down to their molecular components and recycle them that way uh, is hugely interesting to me. I know there, I can't name any off the top of my head, but there are a ton of uh, companies that are exploring how to do that. Um, I would also say on the manufacturing side, I'm curious about technology um, that will enable better, better recycling. So a perfect example of this, um, I just learned Adidas has a new pair of shoes that's coming out in a couple of years called Future Loop. Um, and this is made out of a plastic that is completely recyclable. Um, they've figured out how to uh, attach everything without glue or stitching. So the, the shoe is a pure one stream of plastic, uh, which will enable it to be recycled better. Um, so I'm curious to pay attention to how manufacturing will enable uh, on the recycling end as well. And what do you think are, you know, the biggest challenges and opportunities in the industry right now? You know, I'm talking to people every day and everybody's saying recycling's dead. I don't think it's dead. Um, yeah. So it's something that we're trying to relay. Um, you know, what opportunities are you seeing, you know, either on the recycling side or, you know, just in the industry itself? Yeah, and I, I think um, challenges and opportunities can be are synonymous. They can be the same thing. And for us, in terms of challenges and opportunities, we need to recycle the right way. 
and we need to be committed to doing the right things and communicating with our customers, not necessarily what they want to hear, but what is reality. It's easy to open ourselves up to accept all types of things that may or may not be recyclable. Uh, customers will say yes to that quickly, but part of having um, integrity and part of keeping our promise to our customers is being great at telling them what is recyclable right now and long term. We have to deal in today's reality when it comes to those things. We have to have realistic, scalable, long-term solutions and we have to be accurate and honest with our customers. It's a long list of failed recycling attempts and there's a long list of failed companies um, that have tried to convert all types of trash to beneficial reuse and they're not around anymore. Um, we don't, we don't want to be that company. What, you know, Romke is a company that uh, is committed to telling our customers and finding long-term homes for material types and recycling every last ton that comes through, through the door. One example for us, and I, I believe recycling is not dead, I, I will agree with that, it is very alive and well in Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana, um, is glass recycling. Uh, we, recycle, we recycle glass in, in Ohio uh, at our major MRFs, and that came after years of research and development. Uh, there is a stable glass and market in Ohio, and we worked hard to develop that market. And it didn't come, it didn't come overnight, but, but we take MRF glass and we reprocess it in a subsystem and we sell it to a couple of different buyers in Ohio, and we have long-term commitments from those buyers to purchase, purchase it from it. And glass is heavy, and our customers and our communities want to recycle glass, and we've, we've gotten there, and we've success, successfully been recycling glass in Ohio for the past decade. So I'd say one of our biggest challenges is our data in this industry. Um, I, I mean, you could argue we don't actually even really know how much waste we are producing in this country. Um, there are certainly, there are different methodologies, but they're coming up with different numbers. Um, so I think, you know, if you want to base a, you know, found a program um, or make improvements, that data is really the foundation of it. Uh, so I think that's that's one of our biggest challenges, especially since we, you know, we're not going to be like Europe. We're not going to have national, you know, reporting requirements. Um, and I, I think also having data on life cycle analysis so that we know we're making educated decisions and so that we can... Um, kind of decide what the right treatment for our materials is. Is that is it going to have a lighter impact going to a landfill or should this material be recycled? Um, I think there's a whole ocean, so to speak, of, of data that would help us make more informed decisions as an industry. So um, I think one of the major challenges is the China ban, Southeast Asia ban. Um, but at the same time, it's one of the biggest opportunities. Uh, for example, for us um, locally, I know some of the bigger companies, I won't mention um, some, but I know they're not currently accepting plastic. We are currently accepting uh, plastic, so we're trying to capture that plastic that the bigger companies uh, are not you know, currently accepting. Um, there's uh, emerging markets from this. For example, Colombia is uh, looking for plastics. They used to depend uh, mainly on Venezuela to get their plastics, but because of the political crisis now, you know, they don't have that uh, source. So they're looking for plastics up here. And, um, you know, before I'd say I was looking, you know, for plastics locally, but now I'm looking for plastics, you know, throughout the U.S. Well, I can speak to the opportunities a little bit more. Um, what's, what's interesting, if you take a look at our waste stream, right in California, you know, 
the waste characterizations have told us that 30 to 40% of what's going to landfills is actually organics. And so for me, that's a huge opportunity. I think that's really the new frontier of managing our resources, really taking a look at organic waste. And we have an extraordinarily pioneering program where we've piloted partnerships with food recovery agencies in Southern California. And I spoke to this a little bit earlier, but I, I do want to elaborate a little bit on this program. Um, you know, when we're out there working with customers, we're providing them expertise and how to best manage their resources. And a lot of times when we're looking at their waste containers and doing audits for them, you know, in Southern California, we have a program where if we identify with a customer through waste assessments that there's actually edible food in the waste stream, then we help provide that education um, and the resources for them to actually work with one of our reliable food recovery partners to have that food, instead of being landfilled or even composted, redirected to local food banks. That's resulted, just that education process has resulted in over four, sorry, excuse me, 700 tons of food that would have been landfilled instead serving the community. And so there's a lot of work to be done in the space of organic man or organic waste. Um, a lot of customers, they want to do the right thing. They just need the education and the resources to do it. When we bring this to their attention, you know, they're completely blown away. Um, you know, it helps them understand, you know, that they can make a positive change. And they're throwing away food for a variety of reasons. It's just restocking. Maybe the branding has changed. Um, maybe it's too ripe, so it can't go through the supply chain. So there really is a lot of opportunity um, in managing food waste. And then it helps us also promote organic. So once the customer is done with the stuff that's actually edible and it could be recovered, it helps us build a comprehensive organic waste plan for them where we're in turn then composting whatever is not human, not fit for human consumption. So, you know, when I think of opportunities, I wonder if that model is scalable. We don't know, but it is working for us in Southern California and it's driving a lot of results and a lot of positive change. And this industry, unfortunately, is still one of the most dangerous industries to work in. You know, over the years, what best practices have you gained to improve safety that you can share with others to help them be safe on the job as well? So my role uh, for a long time has been less closely tied to operations, but I think um, for anyone in an office in the operations, um, making sure that it is top of mind. So, you know, for our annual um, our annual goals, we're all evaluating ourselves on our top value, which includes safety. Um, I would also say I think it's important to remember that the safety you learn at work applies outside your life as well. Um, we just a couple weeks ago we had an employee who saved his uncle's life through CPR. Uh, you know, and we offer CPR training to our employees. Uh, and I would also say uh, for you know, those of us in the room who are not um, entrenched in operations every single day, um, I think it's very important to be aware of the proper PPE. Um, one of the, you know, I learn the most in this industry when I spend time on what I would call the front line. So in operations, at MRFs, um, on trucks, at landfills, uh, in our manufacturing now at WasteQuip. Um, it is such a great place to learn, and I think having the proper PPE uh, can also break down barriers with the other people you may be working with, um, and just you come across as a professional uh, 
who cares about what you're doing? Safety has to be embraced from the top. And the top has to really believe that it's something that's important or it's, it's not going to happen. And safety can't be viewed as something where um, it's, it's, you're either safe or you're productive. You, you have to find a way internally for everybody at the company to, to understand that those two things meet, mean the same thing. Um, you have to have effective, regular, authentic, and genuine communication about it. Safety training in a classroom is just okay. It, the safety training has to be in the field, it has to be situational, and it has to be delivered by somebody within the company who has been there before, who knows and cares about it. The other piece of it is, is I don't think our company, Rumpke, or I think the industry has to bear the complete burden of safety. We have to get community involvement. We have to get customer involvement. Um, we have to make our communities and customers understand why we shouldn't put that truck there or that container there or that material type is going to hurt somebody in a MRF or that material type is going to cause an occupational industry, uh, injury. Um, so get, getting the buy-in not only internally but getting the buy-in from our communities and our customers and we can use our, our media strategies to do this and our communication strategies and having open dialogues and communication with, with everybody who, who is involved um, and doing it on a, on a regular basis in an authentic way I think is going to help. We understand that we are in an industry that could be very unsafe, and it is our priority at Republic Services. Safety is number one. Um, we've had industry-leading programs to where we're ranked 40% safer um, according to industry standards, by industry standards from OSHA data. So safety absolutely is, there's no compromise with it. Um, I would say, too, it's a collective effort. You know, it requires education of the consumer when people are driving. Just something as simple as non-distracted driving. I mean, things like that are so critical. Um, making sure that you're watching when our drivers are out there, paying attention to drivers. And if, you know, if I were to talk to a customer, I would definitely let them know that if you are coming to one of our facilities to always wear your protective gear, always wear your vests and make sure you're, you know, you're very aware of what's going on. So I agree that, you know, safety is a collective effort. So safety is uh, definitely top priority on our list, and um, I take it very seriously. Um, I see that I have an obligation towards, you know, our drivers, uh, our workers, but, you know, their families as well. And I agree with uh, what uh, Andy was saying as far as constant communication um, with uh, your coworkers, um, letting them know, um, you know, the, the dangers out in the field. Uh, also, um, letting them know when they're doing good, you know, just even telling them, drive safe, have a great day, I'm thinking about you. I, you know, I even tell my employees, you know, when I meet with them, you know, uh, that I pray for them every time. They may not be, you know, they may not have the same faith, but I think they appreciate that. Um, but constant communication, meeting with them, um, you know, at least once a month, working alongside them out in the field. I notice that that, you know, that that, that makes a difference when they see that, you know, the, that the leader is working alongside you doing the pickups. Um, and you also learn, you know, as you're when you're in the field. There's certain things that you cannot really see through the GPS. They also know that I look at the GPS every day, and sometimes when they have a, a you know a score in their driving, I send them a, a screenshot. Um, also, I mention when their performance could be better, and it's constant reminder every time I talk to them. You know, we can be having a meeting about something else, but I'm always mentioning their safety. So 
And what do you think is the biggest misconception about this industry? I, I think the biggest misconception is that there um, are, are quick or easy fixes. You know, we're, we're not in an industry where there are quick fixes. We're not in an industry where there are easy solutions. Uh, the black box doesn't exist. There's no magic that happens. Um, we have to be responsible, and that's a long-term commitment. Uh, responsible management of landfills and recycling systems um, and safe and effective and efficient movement of recycling and waste material. It's, it's critical to human life and we have to, we have to treat it that way. We have to deal, we have to deal in today's realities and, and, and maybe not what might be or maybe not always what, what, sounds, what sounds good. Um, now, we've seen companies that, you know, that, that have sort of a short-term mindset and I think they damage our industry, I, I do. And, and when we think more long-term and we think more about the whole picture, I think uh, we, we uphold and we improve the credibility of, of our industry. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions, um, I'd say that um, single stream has overall been effective. Um, and sorry to say, but I, you know, many people think that whatever they're putting in the recycling bins is actually being recycled when most of the time it's not. So going back to education, um, and I think it's important that, you know, the big companies really need to invest in, in educating their public. Uh, community outreach programs are not enough. You really need to, you know, go to their house, go to their offices, talk to them, and be in constant communication with them. Um, I think the profession is being very elevated. It's so dynamic and it's so complex. And so there's scientists, there's engineers, there's marketing managers. And that's what's really exciting about the field. Um, and I think one other misconception would be that, you know, landfills are something how they were from the 40s or 50s. You know, landfills are highly engineered, highly sophisticated facilities that provide a resource to our communities. So I think there's a little bit of a misconception of the value, really, of having of of landfills and, and having be really sophisticated facilities. Uh, to add something different, I guess I would say uh, there's this assumption that recycling is magic. <laughs> I throw something in my bin and it just poof disappears and it's better and I feel better about it. Um, but you know, we all uh, in this room know that that's, that's not how it works. There are very economically rooted systems that found recycling programs. Uh, and I, I would love for the general public to understand that putting the correct things in their recycling matters and that that um, recycling is not just putting something in a blue bin. It also means buying recycled products. Um, and we've definitely had this definition that the volume of stuff we put in a blue bin is what matters. Um, but what's even more important is encouraging the markets and encouraging that back end of the, the cycle to continue. Um, so I hope, I think there's a lot of efforts going on right now to improve that education. Um, and I, I hope they are successful. And is there anything about the industry that you wish you would have known before starting your career in the industry? So um, the things I wish I would have known, I don't think I would have liked to know because, um, you know, honestly, I don't think I would have started the, the company. Um, I didn't know how heavily regulated it was, how monopolized the industry was, how hard it is for a small business to try to, you know, get in the market and start servicing. Um, I'm glad I didn't know that because I probably wouldn't be here. 
I was actually very fortunate. Um, I received training in recycling and resource management at Santa Monica College. They had a certificate program, and it did a really great job preparing me. And I would hope that that type of model curriculum could be scalable to other community colleges and courses because it's such a fascinating and complex field. And there's really not a formal education around it. You just some folks have to enter the industry. Um, so I was very fortunate. I was very prepped to enter. I knew a lot of recycling, a lot of our state mandates. Um, and I would love to see that education grow and be a part of other community colleges and, and so forth. So I fortunately learned this by accident, but I think um, when I started out, I thought that to make an impact, you had to work for a nonprofit or government. Um, and I think the work of nonprofits and government is incredibly important. Um, but I, it, had I known that you can make an impact at a large company um, or at you know a small business or at a startup, um, I might have approached my search for jobs uh, differently. I was fortunate. Um, I landed at Waste Management, which was what I thought at the time was the exact opposite of what I should be doing. Um, but I learned very quickly um, and had a lot of support for environmental initiatives uh, that were close to my heart and a lot of opportunities there. Um, and I thought it was really awesome that I could impact so many customers. I mean, they have millions of customers uh, and that gives you a bigger voice and a platform. Uh, so I think everybody's work is important, but had I known that, I might have approached my search a little differently. I'd say um, the tremendous uh, value and how good it feels to, to work for a, a company um, when we're investing in our people and the fact that companies who invest in their people and develop their people are going to be the ones that win. It's a tough, uh, everybody knows it's a challenging labor market out there for all, all jobs right now. And we've adapted over time and have grown into a company that deeply, deeply believes in, in our people and investing in our people to retain those people and build those people into great leaders. And that feels pretty good. Um, we have a lot of training programs right now. We take um, people who have uh, a few skills and bring them in off the streets and we turn them into professional drivers. We take people who have few skills and bring them off the streets and, and turn them into professional, uh, technically capable mechanics. We take people who are supervisors um, and turn them into um, managers and leaders, and we have uh, structured training within our company to make people better and uh, how rewarding that that can be. Um, we need, our company and the industry needs to continue to bring in great people and be committed to developing people if we're going to continue to, to grow and get, and get better. The companies that are the best and the companies that are great at empowering uh, the people that work for them are the ones that are going to gain a competitive advantage and win. And just going off that, you know, what advice would you guys give to people that are interested in having a career in this industry or, you know, may not have heard about the different opportunities that are in this industry? So I would say... Um, to try to think, you know, as innovative as you can, um, and also think in a proactive way instead of a reactive way, which I think many times we've acted in a very reactive way in the industry. 
also get very familiar with your local industry, uh, the rules and regulations, uh, get really familiar with that and make sure um, you know that you're complying with that. If not, you can face fines and lose a lot of time. Uh, network, networking is huge. So not just to go to conferences to learn, learning is great, but you, know, you can meet potential partnerships, uh, clients, um, and do a competitive analysis. Get familiar, you know, with um, uh, demographics and network. I'd say know yourself. Be be uh, keenly aware of what you you don't know, and, and make decisions accordingly, uh, because the decisions have big consequences in in, in our industry. Um, be have humility enough to learn from the people that have been there for a long time. Um, learn from the people that, that, that have been there and um, the industry evolves and, and we, we adapt and there's a lot of avenues to make a positive difference. But the, the more you learn, the more in the long term you'll be able to make a positive difference and be rewarded. So along with knowing yourself, I would say uh, telling people what you're interested in and what you want to do. Uh, and that's advice for honestly any young professional. But I think there's this assumption that uh, you know, you don't want to take people's time telling them about yourself or this assumption that people are just going to guess that you want this magical opportunity. Um, for me, I, I learned a few years into my career that I traveling was really exciting to me. And so I just started telling people that I wanted to travel. And within a year, I had an opportunity that afforded me travel. Uh, and so I think there are so many giving and um, people in this industry that want to help, but they're not going to be able to guess what you want. So uh, make sure that they know. And then uh, the second piece of advice I've sort of said, but just to echo that, learn the front lines of the business. Uh, getting anything done in this industry, you have to understand how recycling works, how collection works, um, how composting works uh, from an operational perspective. And again, dumb luck, that, that was the opportunity that presented itself early on in my career, but uh, if I could go back and do it on purpose, I would do it the same way. You know, I actually do get quite a few people on LinkedIn asking me, how do I get into organics? How do I get into composting? How do I get into this field? And I go to a lot of community groups where there's like-minded folks, there's young professionals, you know, eager to enter. And, you know, I tell them, Usually, you know, you just have to be very familiar with your local community, what's available, keep on educating yourself, keep on networking, um, see if you can get any training, go to industry mixers, you know, if you're really passionate about the space. And if you are passionate, you know, and once you get into the industry, you're going to meet people that are equally as passionate as you are. And that's what's really exciting. So, you know, you really do need to have a passion for the industry um, to be able to really you know, be a part of it. If you're not really that interested, then you're probably not going to have longevity or a long career. So understanding your local policies, your local community groups, who your local hauler is, maybe calling them and engaging with them or trying to do an internship program, just the basic things that any professional would have to do in any respective industry. Great. Well, thank you so much to our panelists for their insights. Um, and I also just wanted to congratulate them all. They're all Waste 360 40 Under 40 award winners this year. So big congrats to them as well. Hi again. Hope you enjoyed this episode filled with four smart 40 Under 40 winners. 
Just want to let you know that nominations are officially open for the 2020 awards. So go to waste360.com to learn more or to nominate a rising star today. Hope to see those nominations rolling in. 